Daniel chapter 5 is today's reading. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought to him before the king, and the king said to him, Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, 
the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed he was deposed from the, his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdom of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you... His son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, pasan. This is what these words mean. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Teka, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So reads God's word. Well, it is good to be with you here in the hall this morning at, uh, at the King Center. Even if I can't see your faces, it is a bit to an advantage. If you don't like what I'm saying, I really can't tell all that much. You can't leave. I can't see your facial expressions. Um, but I'm so glad to see you here this morning. Also glad if you're joining us via the YouTube uh, live stream this morning. As Matt mentioned earlier, we're continuing our series through the book of Daniel, Faithful in Exile. And we've just listened to uh, Daniel chapter 5. And as we've gone through the book of Daniel these last uh, few weeks, this summer, uh, it's begun to feel a bit like the old movie classic Groundhog Day to me a little bit. I remember that from the 90s with Bill Murray, Phil Connors, the TV weatherman in Pennsylvania, who's sent to Punxsutawney to, to witness Groundhog Day and report on him, and he finds himself reliving the same day over and over and over again. 
And in the end, he is completely transformed by the end of the movie. And the book of Daniel is beginning to have the feel of Groundhog Day in a sense. Now we've witnessed um, a recurring pattern, if you will, in the experiences of Daniel, this Jewish exile taken to Babylon to serve in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's led to one fundamental conclusion, and that is this. Matt put it as God is sovereign over all things. I'll, I'll say it this way, that God rules and overrules. And the narrative of history, bringing nations uh, and rulers to power or deposing them according to his plan and purposes. Remember the dream of the, of the statue that troubled King Nebuchadnezzar, how he put to his wise men to tell him the dream and then give the interpretation of the dream. And his men said, that would, that's, that's of the gods and gods do not live among men. And Daniel came to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, but there is a God in heaven who's a revealer of mysteries. In chapter 3, we were confronted with the image of, of gold and how uh, Daniel's friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were challenged as King Nebuchadnezzar commanded that everyone bow down and worship this idol. And he said to them, what God is there that can rescue you from my hand? And again, he was humbled and confronted with the one true God, the most high God. And last week, uh, Trevor Archer led us in, in looking through Daniel chapter 4. We saw the dream of the tree that King Nebuchadnezzar had and how, again, the conclusion at the end of that was the humbling of King Nebuchadnezzar. We come to Daniel chapter 5 today and surprise, the pattern is going to continue. The outcome is somewhat different than what we've seen to this point. Now, these events are taking place roughly 70 years after Daniel was taken captive in, in Daniel chapter 1. So while we were introduced initially to Daniel the young man, now we see Daniel the senior servant who's been faithful to God uh, in all these years. Puts him in his upper 80s, mid-80s. And at the end of, as we come to chapter 5, at the end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar left us off with this conclusion, with all these recurring lessons that he had learned. Chapter 4, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Last week, Trevor said that this was the key left at the back door, if you will, to understand this passage. And what I would put to you today is it's also the pivot point to get us into the next passage and understand this one as well. Though Daniel chapter 5 is about 30 years later, and it abruptly introduces us to a new player in this scene, and that is King Belshazzar, who obviously, as we listen to God's word this morning, failed to appreciate and to appropriate what his ancestor, Nebuchadnezzar, had come to know. And as we consider this account of, Bel of Belshazzar in, in light of the whole book of Daniel to this point, and what we're going to learn today, I think there is a key warning for us to heed. Knowing God rules and overrules in the narrative of history, bringing nations and rulers to power, or deposing them according to his plan and his purposes, Therefore, today, each and every one of us is ultimately accountable to God regarding how we respond to who he is. 
As we look at what happened with King Belshazzar, there are two dangers I would put before you that I think we should take note of and avoid. And the first one is this, that we should be aware, beware of failing to grasp the severity and the reality and the severity of our, of our situation. And in this regard, King Belshazzar made a massive miscalculation. Now, the city of Babylon was under military threat at this point from the ar armies of the Medo-Persian Empire under the command of Darius the Mede. But Belshazzar is putting on this display of confidence and a demonstration of his own perception of power via this banquet. It was a party with a purpose. It was to project the, the power and the prestige of, of Babylon and its gods and, of course, its king. See, because as a city, ancient Babylon was renowned for its awe-inspiring beauty and splendor, but also for its near impregnability against military assaults. It had massive walls. The river Euphrates ran straight through under the walls and supplied it with fresh water. It was nearly immune from siege. And so Bel Belshazzar's confidence and bravado was rooted in the fact that Babylon had withstood every military assault, every military threat for over a thousand years. But his actions at his great banquet also revealed his own worldview and the place of Daniel's God and where, where he fit into it. Look at verse 2 when it says that while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. The goblets of gold and silver obviously came from the temple in Jerusalem when God delivered that city into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar 70 years earlier. And they were meant to be used in honoring and worshiping and glorifying, praising the name of the one true God. But see, Belshazzar, like many of his contemporaries, would have seen that defeat of the armies of, of, of Judah uh, as a defeat of Judah's gods at the hand, Judah's God at the hand of Babylon's God. And in, in essence, he would have seen it as Yahweh lost to Marduk. And his view and his intention here was clearly to mock the God of Israel, that he brought these goblets in, these vessels in, and used them to praise the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. But even while attempting to project his own power and prestige, Belshazzar's position was actually, actually quite perilous. See, chapter 5 concludes with a succinct statement that contrasts so sharply uh, with Belshazzar's ostentatious display of pride and arrogance. If you look at the end of the chapter, verses 30 and 31, it says, That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. How did this happen? How did this happen to impregnable, impregnable uh, Babylon? Well, history tells us that the engineers of Darius the Mede had discovered a means to re, uh, redirect uh, the course of the flow of the Euphrates River upstream from Babylon. And so what happened is the water level dropped sufficiently over time for the enemies of Babylon to infiltrate these impregnable defenses by simply wading under the gates when the water got low enough, catching those uh, defending the city completely 
by surprise. And while Belshazzar basked in the invincibility of Babylon and mocked God, what do we know? God was ruling and overruling to humble an arrogant king who walked in pride, who did not respond to who God is properly. Belshazzar failed to grasp the reality and severity of his own situation. Now there is a... um, a reality and a severe situation that I myself am facing, and that is the fact that I have been driving under an American driving license for the past year, and it is coming due to be uh, to, to expire, and I was supposed to get my UK driving license, and because of COVID, I have not been able to do so. What this means is in a few short weeks, I'm going to have to take my own theory test. And part of that theory test, I've been told, is also to be able to recognize hazards as they come at me. Is that correct? I'm going to have to do that. And I have to tell you, to an American, when one first starts to drive in the UK, every roundabout feels like a potential hazard. And I'm sure I have been a hazard to many British drivers on the road. In fact, I noticed those red learner uh, plates on cars, and I thought many times Amanda and I have said to ourselves, we should put one of those on ours and just let it say, loser, because we just feel so many times like we are messing up and causing uh, causing people problems. But in a few short weeks, I'll have to take that test, and I will have to be able to recognize and respond to properly emerging hazards. And it's vital uh, to be alert to those things, potential hazards, and to to take appropriate action because we know if we don't, the potential for damaging and even tragic consequences is very real. See, but how we respond to God is of even greater consequence. That each and every one of us is, is ultimately accountable to Him in this regard. And failing to grasp that reality and the severity of this issue uh, is a tragedy and a danger. All of us can avoid, and all of us should avoid. So the first is that we recognize that. The second danger to avoid is to stop looking for answers in all the wrong places. Stop looking for answers in all the wrong places. As we read and come to Daniel chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, it's almost a humorous situation, if not for the seriousness of it. It tells us, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared. And wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. And the king watched the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale. He was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Uh, In in response to the handwriting on the wall, Belshazzar goes on a a search for answers. And the scene obviously terrified him. uh, But his first choice for information and guidance, the enchanters, the astrologers, and the the denivers, um, performed as poorly as they already had in Daniel. I was beginning to wonder, why is this group even still around? Because they haven't been able to accomplish anything so far. It says in verses 8 and 9, all the king's wise men came in. But they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified. And his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Now just to kind of move the narrative forward, it says that the urging of the queen, which is probably the queen mother at this point, I haven't mentioned when it's using the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was Belshazzar's father. It's more in the sense of of a descendant. Uh, Belshazzar's father was Nabonidus, and so this is probably the queen mother kind of position, if you will, who is remembering, this is a story we've been here before. 
and she urges for Daniel to be called, and he's finally summoned. But I think that Belshazzar uh, gets a little more than he bargained for. He poses the problem to Daniel, but there's still a tone in this king of arrogance and condescension. When he says in verses 13 and 14 that Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, uh, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. Do you notice how he says he referred to him as an exile of a conquered people? How he diminishes his role and his reputation in Babylon. He says, I've heard this about you. But if you remember at the end of chapter 2, Daniel was promoted to the ruler over the province of Babylon. He was no small player. And so while he may have uh, fallen into disregard and no one had listened to him over the years, uh, he was a significant figure. And as Daniel responds, his tone with Belshazzar differs in that with Nebuchadnezzar. And why, what he says to him kind of highlights why. Politely, if you noticed, he says, uh, matter-of-factly, he rejects the offer of gifts and rewards for his services, and he slows down the conversation for effect, for emphasis, and to punch a point home. When he says in verse 18, Your Majesty, the Most High God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Let's just establish that. God gave this to him contrary to his view. And he was disposed for, deposed for his pride and his arrogance before God. Again, to go back over this is important. There's a reason why the writer of, of the book of Daniel did this. He said, when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, in verse 20, He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. He was only restored to the throne when he humbled himself and acknowledged the Most High God as ruler over all. And now, after slowing it down, he turns to Belshazzar. But you, Belshazzar, in verse 22, have not humbled yourself. Listen to the almost prosecutorial tone as he uses you, you, you. You have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, of gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. None of this, none of what had happened, what Daniel had said regarding Nebuchadnezzar was news to Belshazzar. He was aware of it all. But what had he done? He had simply dismissed the information as anything worth heeding and gone to other sources. Belshazzar set himself up against the Lord rather than humbly acknowledging his supremacy. 
He did not humble himself or honor the God who held his life in his hands. He was guilty of arrogance, blasphemy, idolatry, and he had failed to heed God's word and messages to Nebuchadnezzar via Daniel. That he is able to humble those who walk in pride. He had listened to the wrong voices to his own peril. Now, not everything in this message, I, I decided all the illustrations will be about driving. And um, last month I was driving in Cornwall on holiday. Have you ever found yourself in conflict with your sat-nav? That it takes you someplace, you're following your sat-nav everywhere, it tells you where to go. Again, a wonderful resource for someone who had first moved here over the last year. But there are times when my sat-nav has led me to basically a drainage ditch and then says, take a right. And I said, I can't do that. <laughs> and you get in this horrible conflict. But what happens the other day, I was just yesterday I was driving someplace, and my sat-nav said, bear left. But I knew reality was, if I want to get home, I need to bear right. And it's saying, bear left. And I'm thinking, no, <laughs> I need to go right. Well, it wasn't that important that day, and I did bear right, and I was right, sat-nav, um, but when conflicting information comes, what will govern my decisions? When situations come that cause me fear, anxiety, uncertainty, on a much grander level, where will I go for a sure and steady voice? Belshazzar did not heed God's voice. He looked for answers in, in all the wrong places and face tragedy. Reminded of the words of Scripture, just listen to these, they won't be on the screen, of Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Each and every one of us, as we've seen, is, is ultimately accountable to God regarding our response to who he is. It's been rather conceptual to this point, but it's starting to come concrete as we look at what happened with Belshazzar. And so the challenge and the danger is that we don't fail to grasp the reality and the severity of this. And that we don't listen to failed voices that only paint a false view of the world and who God is and who rules over it. And as we think about these things, to ignore these lessons is to invite personal, spiritual calamity. Look at how this ended for Belshazzar, starting at verse 26 with the words, this is in the, inscription, the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. It ended in disaster for Belshazzar, but in the reality is to ignore these lessons will mean ultimate spiritual disaster for ourselves as well. When weighed upon God's scales, if you will, each one of us is found wanting. Like Belshazzar, we ourselves are without excuse, as Romans tells us in chapter 1. Listen to these words. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. 
being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. We have all failed to humble ourselves and honor God as we should. This is our fundamental problem as human beings. It is at the core of our sin. And God has set a day when Jesus Christ himself will judge each and every one of us. Even greater than God's revelation to Nebuchadnezzar is God's revelation of himself in the person of Jesus Christ, in his life, in his death on the cross, and ultimate resurrection. The Apostle Paul was preaching at Mars Hill in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 17. He says that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So to some extent, our days are also numbered. Not one of us should take tomorrow for granted. Belshazzar did. Belshazzar did not work for him. Daniel 5 and the balance of the rest of Scripture cries out to each one of us not to follow in his steps, not to follow the Belshazzars of the world, but to humble ourselves. And to repent and to turn to Jesus in faith, to accept what he's done for us and to follow him. And finally, there are still many kingdoms, perhaps kingdoms in this very room, that need to come to an end and be ruled by another. Daniel has taught us that indeed the Most High God rules and overrules in the lives and, and histories of nations and kingdoms but the question that matters to us this morning is whether each of us, whether you and I, will acknowledge that the Most High God is the only one who is worthy to rule over our lives as well. If you haven't done so already, responded to God in this way, could I humbly recommend to you that you take steps toward that end today? Perhaps you could contact the church, set up a time with someone here or with a friend that you know if you're viewing via the live stream and someone's recommended this to you, but why not come, have a coffee in the well, whatever it is, and begin a discussion on how it is that you can bring your life under the rule and reign of Jesus, knowing what we know today. You could register for Christianity Explored, or you could consider um, who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. I humbly urge you to do that. Many of us in the room this morning have likely already recognized our need to respond to God uh, in humility and have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And so just a few takeaways for us this morning is I've asked myself, do I sense the urgency that I should of people being accountable to God? As we came into the hall this morning, we were reminded as a church, we say that nothing beats knowing God. And I think our chapter this morning reminds us there's nothing more important and vital in the end than knowing him. Do I sense that urgency? Does it motivate me? Does it move me? What are the governing voices in my life? Where am I going to for guidance, for information? There's so many competing voices. Our news feeds, we can go on our social media and we can put something we want to do out there and find either affirmation or rejection and but to come to God who's given us his word, has revealed himself to us in his son, 
Let that be the governing voice in my life. And this final thought, whatever it is that I'm considering doing, whatever action or lack thereof, will this further the rule of Christ's kingdom in my life and the lives of others, or will it simply promote my own agenda? See, as we look at this chapter in Daniel, we're reminded that each and every one of us is accountable to God to respond to him for who he is. This is a reality that we all must come to terms with that is severe and, and real. And to fail to listen to God's voice in this is in to invite spiritually, spiritual calamity upon ourselves and others. So let's avoid these dangers. Let's respond to God in humility and let him be glorified in us and through us as our king and as our ruler. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you, in, you are indeed the most high God. And today we have been reminded that ultimately we are each accountable to you. No matter what may seek to deny or distract us from that reality. You have shown us in your word that you are able to humble those who walk in pride before you. Help us to learn and take warning from this, grasping its seriousness. I ask that you would silence the voices that paint false pictures of you and your ways. And that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see our great need for King Jesus and his rule. To respond to him in humility and trust. In your mercy, draw each of us closer to you and lead us in the ways you have for us. For your glory, praise and honor among all people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.